Hey everyone, my name's Frank, and this is the eighth episode of the podcast. Uh, today I'm super excited because we have um, a very special guest, one of my closest friends, Eric, um, whose birthday it also is today. So we're going to make this episode a new moon in Pisces, happy birthday, Pisces, happy birthday, Eric, celebration of life moment. Um, so anyways, yeah, welcome, Eric. Thank you. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Um, I now I'm thinking of the Mary J. Blige thing where it's like you've invited us into your home <laughs> and you are giving us an, the essence of Mary J. Blige. I feel like I was giving a, a little bit in a bottle. Yeah, it really is. Totally. Me. It Completely. Really is me. I will be as inarticulate and <laughs> uh, hungry for for vocabulary as Mary was on that episode. Oh my God, hungry for vocabulary. I mean, it would be hard to put into words for anyone what it is to have their essence bottled. You know, I don't... I don't I, <laughs> it, I, honestly, I don't it sounds kind of painful. Painful. Yeah, it sounds like she was juiced. Like <laughs> you know, like she was, she was ripened and then squeezed and that's what that's what came out right after she did the burger king commercial you know <laughs> it's yes. been a rough road <laughs> oh she does say that it's been a rough road but this is my essence <laughs> this is the essence of mary j plage in a bottle did you watch the super bowl performance for her honestly i didn't even realize that she, she was performing me neither my bad hmm. love mean, mary I Exactly. I also like kind of live for MJB, but I did not watch it and kind of only realized after the fact that apparently it was really good. Um, I mean, but I don't really know in the context of a Super Bowl performance what that really means. But anyways, um, how are you doing? I'm good. I had a kind of sleepy day, though I was awake in the like morning hours and I was like, uh, kind of manically posting on my shit posting page, um, on Instagram and, uh, which is a hamburger dot helpless. And I wasn't expecting anybody to remember my birthday this, this year. Cause nobody really remembered it last year. And, uh, so I didn't have any expectations, but I was like pleasantly surprised that like everybody was, you know, messaging me and texting me people I didn't expect at all. It was just really cool. It was really nice to, to wake up to that. Nice. I love that. Did Snorlax wish you a happy birthday? Nah, he's still asleep. <laughs> Work. <laughs> Priorities. I mean, I'd be there too, you know. Yeah. She looks very cute behind you, though. There is a, like, stuffed plush Snorlax on Eric's bed behind him in case you're listening to just the audio version of this um, incredible show that we have prepared for you today. But um, okay, I guess I'll just jump in. This is the second time that we're recording this because the first time we recorded for some reason, my audio was like going in and out. Um, and I was going to rewatch it to figure out like what we talked about, but I figured whatever, I just forget it and we just do it in the moment again. Um, but I do know that I uh, want to ask you about HARP because um, 
you are a composer, you are a musician, and you're working on completing your first album now. What's the name of the album? Uh, the album is called um, The Way a Thundercloud is Happy. Hmm. Cute. It's uh, 12 tracks. It's It was 10 tracks originally, but I have two bonus tracks on it. Um, the writing has been done for at least a year and a half. I think I wrote all the songs from like 2018 until 2020. I think that's when I started. It's when the last song of the initial 10 songs was completed. And uh, in October, sadly, um, I lost a good friend of mine and I wrote a song uh, that I to this is a song kind of came out of those emotions of grief mm. and um i wanted to put that on the record too um and i have a feature from uh i also have a track featuring um cool ad who's in the uh rap group uh das racist um, mm. so i'm including some extras on there i'm really excited to share with everybody when uh the production is complete nice that's awesome that's like a huge accomplishment for sure um yeah i know you've been working on this forever you know for the last mm -hmm. um few years um, you've always been at the heart playing like whenever we hang out um and like consistently consistently working on it um i'm i guess you know just to sort of like let everyone know um i'm curious how you got into harp and started playing the harp because i remember when I kind of remember when like you started, but if you kind of just want to tell the story and how you got into harp and what led you to it. Yeah. Um, well, when I was about 12, I started playing cello. Um, and I had uh, interest in trying to write music, although I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was just influenced by bands that I was listening to at the time when I was starting to get into music around that age. Um, I was getting into like kind of obscure music for like a 12 year old, um, mostly through like the Buffy soundtrack and through just being on the internet and hearing about artists that I'd never heard of and that none of my peers were listening to. Um, so I was like into like Bjork and at the drive-in and Radiohead and this goth cello band called Rasputina, which inspired my, my foray into cello. But um, in high school, I also played upright bass. Um, I was a section leader, even though I could barely read music, they made me section leader for like a, a bass section with like seven bassists, which is pretty nuts. Oh, wow. Um but I got by on my sense of rhythm and just kind of just getting by reading music, which I can't really do these days. Um, I started playing. Hmm? Read music. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I mean, I could read bass clef a little bit, but even uh, getting the timing right when I'm looking at sheet music, it's not, it's a very slow process and uh, I'm not a sheet music musician, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but um Throughout my teen years and uh, until probably my early 20s, I was also playing guitar. 
I um, got into guitar probably around the same time that I was getting into bass and cello. I didn't play those for long, but I played guitar for like 10 years. And I had a, an approach that was inspired by um, more unorthodox guitarists like, uh, well, like Nick Drake or Joni Mitchell or uh, Khaki King, who each of those guitarists would uh, put their guitar in alternate tunings and had a very kind of percussive style or a style that was more based in finger picking than like strumming perhaps. And uh, so I just had a musical sense of my own growing up. And by the time I was in my early twenties, I was kind of running into walls with guitar and I did not really see a future with the instrument for my songwriting. Um, so I, uh, at the time I was dating someone whose mother, uh, played harp. Uh, well, she was a musician, but she didn't play much harp. She had a small lever harp with 22 yeah. strings. Um, and when she heard that I was like obsessed with harp music, um, she was, she was living in California at the time. And I was at the beginning of just a year and a half long stint in Oregon. I grew up in New York, but I spent a couple of, not even two years in Oregon, um, where I was dating, um, this guy, Caleb, who's still a, a good friend of mine. And, um, his mother sent me her little harp, uh, so that I could just start playing on my own. And ever since then, it's, I've been, uh, me and the instrument have been inseparable though. I play a different harp now than I started on. Um, I still play a lever harp though. Uh, I've never played a pedal harp, which is, um, has a, you know, it involves a different technique, but yeah. So I've been playing for almost 10 years now. Nice. And you're self-taught, right? Yeah. Which was a, a slow process. It took me quite a few years before I was comfortable playing in front of anybody. I even remember just having friends over at my house and I would really have this like urge to do something with my hands, but I would like wait for them to go use the bathroom or something like that so that I could, you know, play the instrument. And then like when they'd come back, I'd just kind of like roll away from it on my, on my like computer chair. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was very self-conscious about it, but in uh, 2017 was when I first played in front of an audience, mm -hmm. um, which felt good. It was at the uh, suggestion of my friend, Eric, um, who raps under the name Mr. Wallace. He's from, he's a rapper from Chicago. And I just played harp for him a couple of times when he would visit and he he suggested that I play in front of people. So I got, I, you know, I was asked by some friends um, and I got some pieces together for that performance. I think, I, and I think there was a performance of like Ghost Town DJs, My Boo, and uh, Ariel Pink's Baby. And I think uh, Controller by Drake. I did just harp versions of all those songs. Mm. And that was fun. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm mostly self, I'm, you know, I'm just a self-taught musician. Yeah, I feel like that is such a, like an incredible like accomplishment on its own. Just like self teaching any instrument, but especially harp. Um, Thanks. Right? I, um, yeah, I feel like that would just take so much discipline and commitment, and uh, you know, um, 
I don't know, just like real work. I would say so. I, I, you know, I try to incorporate playing into my every day, maybe not every single day, but, you know, five, six days out of the week, you know, mm. I'll be, you know, at my harp. And, um, yeah, it's not easy because it's, uh, it, the harp has its limitations, though the possibilities for music you can make on it is seemingly endless. Uh, the harp does, uh, have some physical limitations in that, you know, it's different than a piano, which is chromatic in that, you know, you, you have all the key, all the notes of the Western in Western music. Um, you know, so you have a chromatic scale. Um, but the, uh, the harp uses a diatonic approach, which means that you're, you're limited to the structure of a scale. You get um, the seven notes or eight notes per octave, technically eight notes, but you know, the eighth note begins the next octave. Um, so, you know, you have to use levers to change keys. So it takes a lot of um, acquainting yourself with the piece first and kind of choreographing beforehand how you're going to address or make any key changes happen when, you know, when they're necessary. You have to have a kind of uh, dance with your hands, so to speak. You know, you have to remember the steps as you're playing. You have to find beats where your hand has like a moment to switch up or down a lever. Uh, so you get the incidental note that you need for a given chord or, you know, figure or whatever you're playing. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's not the easiest instrument, but it's highly rewarding because, I mean, I think it's, you know, among the most beautiful of instruments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely one of the most beautiful to hear for sure. And then I'm sure playing it is definitely different than playing a guitar or a maybe close to a cello because a cello is pretty big, right? In a way, right? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I would say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just curious what it's like, you know, playing at that kind of instrument versus the other. Yeah, um, though with an acoustic instrument, you still have something resonating um, against your body. But the cello, something like the cello is so much that it covers more of your body and, you're, you know, you're really moving with that instrument. Mm -hmm. And with the harp, too, uh, you rest it, uh, you know, against your collarbone. You know, you kind of have to uh, have good posture, you know, your feet kind of flat on the ground, um, kind of have the uh, instrument between your knees and um yeah it's a it's a very uh what's the word i, I would you know all instrument all music is embodied all music um i've heard someone say i think it was just like in an instagram ad you know people usually make this comparison between music and math but you know that's kind of a misleading comparison music is physics mm -hmm. um and uh but yeah you sit at the harp and um you know you you can pluck a string a single string 
and there's already like a feedback from the instrument. There's all this uh, sympathetic resonance um, because a single note uh, is composed of many notes um, that uh, many frequencies, rather, I should say, many frequencies compose a single note and those frequencies exist on other strings. There's a, there's an entire, uh, what do you call it? It's the overtone series. So if you were to, I don't know if you can hear this very well, but I don't know if you can hear that so well. I'm not doing that so well either. But there are different spots on the strings that have um, what's known as a harmonic. It's just when you meet the string with your finger at a certain point on, on the string, usually at the halfway point of the string, but though there are other spots on the string that have harmonic frequencies. And it lets out this uh, tone that's higher than the pitch of, that, of what the string is tuned to. And that kind of resonates with other strings, that, you know, that might be tuned to that or have that frequency on them. So, yeah, totally. And then I guess I'm kind of curious too. I feel like um, folks would be interested to know um, what the process of writing a song is like for you, because you have ten songs plus two bonus tracks on the album, and just curious, like start to finish, what that sort of looks and feels like? I think at the beginning of the writing process, you don't really need, well, even when you're maybe even more than halfway through the writing process, you never really know which way a song is going. Um, it's often like a, I don't know, I, I could start a piece by improvising and noticing what patterns I'm kind of, uh, what patterns are sticking. Mm. Um, but it's always this kind of like, I wouldn't say like a mystery, but you're like almost following like a set of clues towards your kind of end goal, I guess, if you, you could say that. But uh, it takes me a while to flesh out an entire song just because it's the way my mind works. Some people have easier time, have an e easier or more, more brief approach to writing songs. It's probably for the better, but I, I kind of uh, have a mind that organizes meaning a certain way and music a certain way. And, um, you know, I'll be thinking of, uh, you know, this kind of themes of the piece will make themselves known to me over time. I never, I don't know right away what it'll be about. There's emotional content, mm. but it's not super discreet. It's not really even linguistic yet. It's all felt and it's all these um, instincts that are pulling or pushing you in, in a certain direction. And, uh, and then lyrically that takes me a while too, because, um, for a variety of reasons, um, I'll have phrases 
or certain lines that come to me. Uh, and I'll just kind of keep them in a bank of lines and phrases and words that, that I like, or that I think sound musical. Um, but what's important to me is that I have a melody first. I don't write lyrics first. Rarely do I ever write lyrics first. Um, I think I only wrote lyrics for my song for my friend Trevor, uh, Trevor Bazil, who passed in in October. And I, I had lyrics because the 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 situation and the emotions were were uh, uh, yeah. so direct. And I remember being in, I, um, I had an errand to run to the Upper West Side. Um, I live in Brooklyn and I had to run an errand to the Upper West Side. And I had some time to kill on the way back and I was feeling really somber and reflective and missing my friend. Um, so I sat in, in Central Park for a while and I was just writing just writing and um so th for that song the words did kind of come before the melody and i kind of had to reconcile what could fit in the melodic parameters and like in the kind of chord structure for the music that i kind of already had for a couple months um it was before he before he passed away um but uh again lyrics for me take take some time to figure out, you know, where exactly they're going, what their structure is, what the repeating, what, what, what repeats, what is, you know, and like, what are the little kind of like, not Easter eggs, but like, there'll be little landmarks in the lyrics that, you know, are kind of landmarks for meaning or synchronicity. Mm. Um, and, uh, huh. Yeah. yeah 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 for sure no that makes sense it makes perfect sense and and i'm curious too you know when you talk about like hearing the melody in your head first and sort of like working on just those like initial instincts um that are sort of guiding you um mm -hmm. just if, like what that also feels like are you just sort of like hanging around and like like watching tv and like hearing a melody or do you just like sort of hear it like while you're at the harp like kind of because that always feels super elusive to me in the creative process where it's like where is this coming yeah. from and like you know what i mean yeah. it's elusive for me too because um vocal melodies don't come to me as easily mm -hmm. because i'm so kind of preoccupied by what's going on in harp and it's almost like what's going on on harp it, it could almost suffice in itself as a piece but a lot of what i write is kind of dense and um you know, chordal. So I feel like they're songs. I feel like what I'm constructing on harp, even if it's like kind of like a, a busier passage, I always have this instinct to set words and a vocal melody to it. I just feel like it, if it gives it an even more full body and it's just another avenue to articulate the meanings that I'm interested in. And, uh, yeah, usually, um, I have to like kick myself in the ass for a, for a vocal melody to start. And I'll usually find something I like, you know, in a matter of time, but I usually have to force myself to start singing on a certain degree of a scale. 
Um, I usually start, I usually start on maybe like the seventh degree of the scale or the second degree of the scale because they're kind of, um, they're distinct enough. Uh, there, there, there's um, seven degrees to a scale and uh, some of them are more consonant notes. Some of them are dissonant notes. Um, but I usually like to start on the second or seventh degree of the scale. The seventh degree of the scale is more of a jazz sound. It, it, it's romantic sounding. It indicates longing because it's pushing upward toward the octave. When you hear music, there's like a set of expectations that your brain already has for where the frequencies are going. That's how music works, um, more or less. Um, ideas of departure or arrival um, or uh, resolution and, uh, or irresolution, um, or stable and unstable, you know, it's, it's kind of this give and take mm. and, uh, where certain notes are leading you to. And if you want to subvert those expectations, you know, that's where like, uh, it's how key changes happen. Key changes are always felt, um, you know, but, uh, yeah, vocal melodies for me, uh, they take, a little while to craft because there is also this second demand that they fit words. And uh, I was listening to an interview from like 1979 or so uh, with Steely Dan, um, with both members of Steely Dan, it was like a radio broadcast and they were talking about their own approach to writing lyrics and how so a lot of the time they'll sacrifice narrative continuity for uh, phonemes, as in, you know, the, 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 the exact sound of the vowel, you know, um, because that's more musical. Um, and I kind of feel the same way too. It has to sound good coming out of my mouth. So sometimes I can't use the, the poetic phrase that the exact poetic phrase I might want. I have to say there are always, it's always like this meeting in the middle. It's just this kind of songwriting for me is this a song could take a year for me to write. And I, it's not that I like to be overindulgent, but I like to get it right. And I like to, it's like sculpting to me. It's like making a fine sculpture. And um, I just like, I think if you give yourself the time and the space, to work on a song, you can get something you're really proud of and that you can probably play for the rest of your life. Um, you know, investing time in a piece, uh, I think it's the best thing you can do. I love that. Yeah. Cause I, I, myself, I can be like sometimes in a hurry and sometimes like the sort of like creative process can feel a little like uncertain and you're kind of just like in a rush to get it done because you just want to be kind of done with the creative process. It's like, Oh, this is, take such a specific part of my brain and it takes so much energy and I also get a little bit OCD and obsessive about it so it's kind of like all I'm ever thinking of and I'm like trying to get back to business as usual in my life so sometimes mm -hmm. I can like try and rush it but I always really admired that about you how much time you take and how mindful you are and um how you know you'll give each decision it's like the, the time it needs to be made instead of sort of just like going on the fly and just doing things, you know, just making decisions very quickly. Cause I think it does definitely show in the work. Like it definitely shows in the song. Thank you. Yeah, of course it definitely shows in the song, but I also think even just like energetically, like that time and that 
thought that gets invested in it, like whether consciously or unconsciously can definitely be felt in um, the, the listener, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious too, um, so you mentioned Steely Dan, but for the record, like what are your main influences or like what kind of sound, if you had to put it into words, are, are you trying to craft? Well, for the record, for the record, I would definitely say like Mariah Carey, mm -hmm. you know, I have an interest in pop music. Uh, and I would say she's really inspirational and influential on my notion of writing a pop song, even though I don't think my music really comes across as like, it's not mainstream pop. I think it's pop in the way that like Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys was writing pop music in the 1960s, or like Scott Walker or some, or uh, uh, Joni Mitchell was a huge influence on my writings approach. I think sh uh, I, I went, um, it was like 2018 to 2019 was uh, like a period of really delving into the Joni Mitchell discography and studying like every single song. And um, because I was opening myself up to writing and composing again, I kind of went through a quiet period for like maybe even seven years. I didn't write, I didn't really write a thing. I used to write on guitar and I got really frustrated with that. And then I became really self-conscious and kind of wanted to learn the basics of music again on the harp and then have that lead me maybe to, to being able to compose in a way that I was happy with. Um, but it also took some studying of songwriters that I admired, uh, Judy Sill and clearly Joanna Newsom is a huge influence on my harp playing. Um, I love her percussive style. I love her sense of composition. Um, I don't think I really approach what she does at all, but uh, she taught me certain principles that I apply to my music um, that I probably wouldn't do a great job at articulating at the moment, but. Uh, those are all taken to heart and put into the craft and almost kind of at a subconscious or unconscious level, I think. Um, and uh, harpists like Dorothy Ashby, um, Park Stickney is a great jazz harpist. Um, so listening to a lot of like jazz and R&B and gospel music. Although I don't think my music is quite that either, but a lot of what's going on is like kind of drawn from those sources. But yeah, I remember, um, I think the opening track, well, uh, the opening track was kind of uh, spurred by like Ariana Grande, Thank You, Next. Uh, I just wanted this kind of like light pop song, but I ended up writing a like one of the most kind of more confessional pieces about like substance abuse and like dead ends and letdowns and all of that and but the idea was there to have this kind of like pop song structure and have this like dreamy kind of um, melody 
and it's things like that. It's like things you wouldn't really think where the springboards for inspiration usually are. Uh, there's a song called Before Land is Time. And that was really inspired by Mariah Carey's Caution, um, which came out at, around the time that I was writing. You know, I don't really go into songs thinking that I'm going to emulate another artist. That's not the uh, demand I make, or that's not really the intention. It's just that sometimes I can't shake certain uh, inspirations for better or for worse. I guess at that point you can call them influences. I guess because there's a difference between what inspires me and also what influences me. Like someone may be under the influence of like alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. So they do things, so, you know, so they do things they normally wouldn't. Um, inspiration is different. Like, uh, like, I don't know, Joanna Newsom inspires me. Joni Mitchell inspires me. I can't say that I approach what they do. I can't say that. I even follow, well, uh, for Newsom, I guess I follow some of her uh, quote unquote dictates. Not that she dictates to her audience, but some of the principles in her music um, that I've gleaned, you know, come up in my own um, more or less, but yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think the etymology too for inspiration, um, I remember reading once because it's like in and then spiral, like spirit. Um, and it like going back, um, I think, like I think during like a medieval time or something, like meant very literally to be under the influence of the divine, to be like- Yeah, well, it has to do with breath, right? Like- um, To breathe in the spire, divine. To like, like respira, uh, como, uh, how do you say in Spanish? Like respirar? Right, respirar. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. divine breath and being sort of like under the exactly. influence of, of a god, and like, which I kind of dig. I'm like, oh, okay, like that kind of makes sense yeah. too in a way. Even kind of sounds yeah. kind of literal because it's like a lot of the time, inspiration comes kind of out of nowhere and is sort of like an energy that is sort of like being channeled more than being like produced. At least that's how it feels mm -hmm. sometimes. So I always really like that because it kind of just like gives a word to the feeling that can sometimes feel really mysterious and hard to put into words. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, and then you have one song that doesn't have um, lyrics, right? And I'm sort of curious about that, like how you kind of make that decision and sort of like what, what you think that song does um, for the album. I didn't really want to complicate that one with words. Mm -hmm. I thought there was something really direct about the melody. That's a second track called not another full moon. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to have, I wanted the, the original, uh, well, not the original idea for the record. Um, cause the, the record's gone through several different iterations and forms taken different forms over the years but um two years ago i think i had a 14 track list and many of those songs are not on this iteration of the album and quite a few of them were just instrumental and 
it's either that the pieces felt complete on their own um, or that I thought the kind of melody I was hearing in my mind wasn't really amenable to like the lyrics. So it's not, you know, it's not really, uh, sometimes a piece will just indicate that it suffices on its own that, you know, I don't really need to do much more for it. Uh, for that track, I just really liked the, the, the kind of rising melody that was happening on the harp. And I thought, well, that sounds good on its own. Maybe somebody wants to sample it in the future or some, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I always, I wish there were more instrumental tracks on the record, but, but th- that's not how it ended up. And I'm, I'm happy with the songs I selected to be yeah. the 10 plus two bonus tracks. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I just really love that song. And I'm just always like kind of curious, like how that kind of decision gets made. Um, and I will let you sort of kind of just, you don't want to complicate it. And the song sort of suffices on its own. Um, mm-hmm. cause it is super beautiful, but, um, it always is interesting to me, like how that kind of decision gets made. Um, cause obviously a harp song without lyrics, um, is sounds beautiful, you know, and then with, with lyrics, mm-hmm. adds a whole other layer of beauty to it. And then I was just curious too, um, cause this is something I think about a lot and I feel like something I, I feel like I've talked about, um, on the podcast, but sort of like, it might be kind of a general question, but like what sort of, you know, you've pursued the harp for, you know, so that de- in such a dedicated, committed way. And as long as I've known you, you've always been a very creative person and I've always sort of focused on art and making art or you know some kind of expression and i'm just sort of curious uh what the creative process like how it kind of uh folds into your life like i tend to think of the creative process as some kind of like spiritual process or practice really you know like that kind of like creative outlet and like creative um production is less about um the end result, but more about the sort of spiritual practice of it all. And so I'm sort of just curious, like basically like what creativity is for you, like what it offers. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot on, on, um, on different platforms, usually on Instagram, I see a lot of, uh, accounts that promote music and people who are trying to, people who are interested are interested in showing musicians how to promote their work. I've seen a lot of them say that the reason or one of the reasons why many musicians don't garner kind of success in the in the commercial sense is because they're too caught up in the writing process that they romanticize the, the com- the, com- the composition and production uh, they get too bound up in that they don't pay attention to the, to, to the commercial aspect of what they do, you know, which will give them a living. And while I can, I, I see what they mean entirely. There's a, te- I have a, a kind of a tension with that because composition and, and writing is uh, is, is, is akin to a spiritual practice for me, not in any kind of traditional terms, 
you know, there's not really a religion, so an established religion or set of um, so there's not really like a set of commandments or anything that, you know, one follows to experience this kind of creativity as spiritual in a sense, but it has a lot to do with um, synthesizing discrete or, you know, kind of disparate moments of insight and meaning kind of fleeting, fleeting things and preserving them in a kind of, uh, in amber, so to speak, uh, kind of musical amber. Um, in one sense, it's like this physical practice where, um, it's less about ex self-expression for me. It's more about an ex a kind of experience um, uh, and, a, and a practice of uh, a vision, a visualizing of giving testimony. I'm not really thinking of songwriting as a vehicle of self-expression. I kind of think that's a contemporary, uh, almost selfish or e egoistic obsession. Mm. A lot of the time what I play on harp isn't, isn't because I'm trying to express myself. It's because I'm looking for something beyond myself. I experience something beyond myself. I don't think of myself as like a conduit for some other force. I see myself present in, you know, like almost every step of the way. But there are these moments where you give yourself over to something else, something greater. I think that's music. I think that's the connectivity that is music and creativity, the creative experience. Um, I mean, I love what I do. And I love throwing myself into it. Um, yeah. No, for real. That part. <laughs> yeah. It, like, I totally hear you and I totally um, relate. Like, that was so beautifully said. Um, and I love that you said you don't see yourself as a conduit, but you see yourself as, like, completely present. And that it's sort of more about an engagement um, a pursual of something like a seeking of something and, mm -hmm. um, and sort of like reaching some connecting with something higher than yourself. Um, yeah. how, what would you, what would you describe as that something higher than yourself or bigger than yourself? I come from a philosophical background for better or worse, mostly for worse. But I remember <laughs> really loving um, reading Spinoza's yeah. ethics in college. And he was not the tra traditionally religious type. He was excommunicated for his questioning of the existence of, a tr of God as traditionally conceived but in his work, he develops 
an idea of the infinite that we participate in that is the divine but not a divine author not a divine legislator but simply the essence of all physical and mental expression among an infinity of other things that we have no experience of but still exist um and that we are in we are a direct expression of the divine itself but the divine not as religion conceives of it simply as the force of existence that um we cannot really conceive of as having a point at which it did not exist there's this kind of thoroughgoing notion in spinoza that we are part that we as humans are these little modes of through which an eternal and infinite essence is expressing its power of existence nothing more nothing less there's no will behind it there's no personality there that's guiding what religion has traditionally called creation um there just is and i think um music is another expression of that i'm not saying that the universe has a musical structure to it but that we can understand ourselves and existence better uh, you know better through the relations that are within music um, and the experiences that music opens us up to whether it be discovering something about ourselves or finding connection with others hmm. um the ancient greeks had this idea that astronomy was the study of the movements of external celestial bodies and music was the study of internal of the movements of internal bodies gorge um yeah no i i i love the idea well i love the idea of course of the sort of idea of us being extensions of some kind of divine force that are just expressing themselves as mm -hmm. divinity mm -hmm. um with another with a you know an infinite number of other sort of divine expressions um mm -hmm. with no sort of like uh predetermination or what is it called like when it's like um there's no like for Spinoza, there's, it's not that there's like a preset goal for everything. It's insofar as everything can, everything is striving to persevere in its being. Um, and that gets more complicated in Spinoza, but you know, Definitely. we're talking about music. So for sure. Yeah. But, but, but um, I'll go for it. yeah, no go. I just wanted to, I, I know we might end soon, but I wanted to remember to talk about something we ta uh, talked about the first time that we tried this, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, of course. I was just thinking of the uh, kind of space that music gives you to express certain ideas that can't really be expressed otherwise. Mm -hmm. There's there's a notion that I've heard Newsom articulate that that's if it were when people ask her to explain her intentions or what she wanted to express on a given album or song, she says, well, you know, if it could be said in a sentence, it would be a sentence, but it's a song, you know, so, so any kind of effort to justify what you did in a song is kind of superfluous. What you want, you know, the song explains itself and it's open to all the listeners to interpret what that means for them. I don't dictate what something means, what my creation so-called means for somebody else. But I do, th I think music gives you the space to express certain ideas that you, that would be so long winded and kind of crazy sounding otherwise. And I remember explaining to you the other night, um, the last, well, track 10 on my record, uh, it's called Mink. I, at the time I was reflecting on a lot of just kind of personal struggles and the kind of things that haunt my mind and my heart. And, uh, I was watching Sailor Moon. I was, uh, I was watching it on Netflix, which is a different translation than it's a different dub than the one I grew up with, which I was enamored with. And I think that the recent dub is kind of a little soulless. It's, it is faithful to the original Japanese script, but it sounds more often than not like young anime fans doing their impression of what they think anime sounds like. However, in the fourth season of Sailor Moon, it's, it's called the dreams arc. And there are all these, uh, questions about the power of dreaming and childhood, a child's dreams for their life, for their life. Um, and the villains in that season, uh, it, uh, they're called the dead moon circus and they descended, um, during the, uh, an eclipse into, um, Juban, the Juban district where Sailor Moon lives her normal high school life with her friends and uh, these villains are seeking to steal the dreams of the people to, you know of, of people with pure dream of, of you know pure dreams um and uh they're seeking these like golden mirrors that they can never find that's like hidden in one of the sailors they don't know that but anyway um the villains summon these demons called uh, the uh, Lemures, which is is an ancient Greek term for a restless house spirit. And uh, and in in ancient times, the Greeks would appease these ancient house ancestral house spirits uh, with food sacrifices, so that they would, you know, calm down. And, um, so that's what a lemur, a lemur 
or lemurus is. Lemurus is the plural, I believe. And I watched the uh, I watched the ninety a '90s translation, the dub from the '90s that I grew up with, and the lemurus were uh, referred to in the English dub as the remless, which just strange sounds so strangely similar to lemurus, remless, as in sleepless, as in R-E-M-less, right? Um, dreamless. And uh, you could kind of imagine that lemurus with like a kind of Japanese uh, inflection would sound more like remudus, which sounds like remless. So it's just, it, it kind of blew my mind that this ancient term from like two, 3,000 years ago, uh, resonated with this kind of neologism in an anime in the late 20th century, uh, this kind of creative turn of phrase um, that just startled me. And I made that connection and thought, well, how do I, how do I preserve this kind of connection? And I remember uh, I was walking to the, it was late at night. So I was walking to the kitchen and out of the corner of my eye in my roommate's office in the window, I just saw like this shape, but this is just the shape of something mundane, but it kind of looked a little spooky. So I thought, oh, there's my house spirit. And I was thinking about all the kind of like troubles in my life that haunt me, things that I haven't resolved. And it all came together. And I had the first two like stanzas of the song written, but I didn't really know where else it would go. I knew I wanted to repeat the chord structure a few more times. So the chord progression a few more times. So I kind of jumped off from there. I quoted the character like come forth my lemurous, my rumless dream eater. Mm. And I went from there and I kind of painted what I wanted to paint, but that's the kind of connection that is perfect for a song. That's where it, a song has space for that kind of thing. Instead of taking five minutes to explain this ridiculous series of connections and associations, it works really well and is more concise and impactful in the space of a song. And that's, I think that's one of the things music is great for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It makes it super makes it like an ex like experiential rather than like mm -hmm. you know rather than like a told thing i do think i like the idea of you telling the story like love it because it definitely does sort of like maybe like impart on someone to sort of like find what strange connections they're making or seemingly strange that like someone else might not make like your weird obsessions sort of like strange things that only you seem to notice or that kind of catch your eye that those are the kinds of avenues to follow when you're making something because um those are like guiding points that sort of like lead you in the right direction um but i also love Absolutely. what you're saying about uh sorry <laughs> i also love what you're saying about um it being like if it could be if it could be a sentence it wouldn't be a song and that there's something in in music even if it has lyrics that is can't be really communicated in language and i guess i was curious how you would you know because i love the idea of music being a, a, a study of the movement of these sort of like internal uh ener energetic forces right and mm -hmm. as something that can't be communicated in language and sort of like not to bring like that um like postmodern thing into it but like that idea that everything is created in language versus this idea that um 
like some things can't be experienced uh, in language. Yeah. Some things are more embodied. Yeah. So I'd be curious what you might say about that. Yeah. Well, I think Palia, Camille Palia makes a brilliant point about her dispute with these academics who, who, you know, who, who insist that our reality is structured by language, our experience of reality is structured by language. When she cites her experience with her students because she teaches at an art college and she talks about um, her dancers and she says they, they, they don't experience the world through language. They, they you know, they, they, they barely <laughs> have a grasp on the English language, you know, for better or worse, you know, like their experience of the body is, I mean, their experience of the world is through the body is physical. And that is just as, just as important, just as viable an avenue of expression and understanding than language to think that language is the horizon of our experience is ridiculous language we we struggle to ex to express so much in language language is a fragment of our experience it's uh, an effort to contain that which exceeds it you know yeah yeah the hubris mama of all that of yeah. thinking that yeah it does it feels a little yeah. it feels a little god complexy to say that language is at least for me that language is all created yeah. by reality because it's sort of like kind of centers well it it serves a political academic purpose to make the claim that language is the source of our experience or language is the horizon of what we can know you know that <laughs> that's a kind of uh, tool for academic um, climbing and advancement and the advancement of a certain set of arguments that uh, that don't really progress past their hyper-referential kind of uh, hyper-textual confines um that countless academics project onto everyone else to validate their claims but you know yeah, nature nature consumes us all at the end of the day so nature consumes us all yeah that's tea actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all tea actually so, um, yeah. no i love that anyway it definitely does um push at the limit, push at, push at that argument and sort of just like, uh, what is it called? Um, make so clear that so much of our experience is not language based and that I like someone playing the harp, like, and I love the posture that you said too, cause that sounds meditative, like sitting spine straight, like the, the sort of square posture, feet on the ground, grounded, centered, aligned, like that's the perfect posture for a meditation and that kind of like alignment yeah. and centeredness and groundedness that it would take literally has nothing to do with language. You know what I mean? You're just like completely yeah. in your body. And like, so I, I, I love that. Um, totally. and, 
we i don't think we have to stop at an hour we can go a little bit more if you're down yeah do you want to pause it just to, to just to save it uh yeah sure we could do that and then we'll come back perfect hey everyone so actually we decided to just end it there but um hope you enjoyed it thank you for listening and here is a full song of eric's called who needs heaven Thank you. Let it find